So during my time at Washington State University, we had a, uh, a really big college ministry called Campus Crusade. And one Thursday when I went to this large gathering, large by, by large I mean about 300 students would gather every Thursday night in this uh, big church on top of the hill. And uh, they sang the same three songs every week. And, um, but they had rotating speakers that would come through. And one was a, a director of Campus Crusade in Idaho. Uh, we were only about eight miles from the University of Idaho. And he came, and I, I don't remember the full content of what he spoke about, but when he was speaking, he kept using this phrase. It was, I am convinced. I am convinced. I am convinced. And, and I was... I was moved by that because often when I'd heard people speak, they had used the word, I believe, I feel, I think. And, and a lot of those in our culture are, are fairly subjective terms. Your feelings are subjective. I could disregard your feelings. It might hurt your feelings, but I could do that. Right? Your thoughts, I could say, well, I, well, I think something different. Right? Your faith, right? you believe I could say, well, I believe something different. But when someone says, I am convinced, all of a sudden it's like this, this uh, big rock has been placed somewhere. And you're like, that's not moving. And so when he said, I am convinced, I was like, I want to be convinced too. And so we're starting in a sermon series called Convinced, moving towards Easter. Um, Wanting our church to be people who don't just say, well, I, you know, I'm sitting next to someone who believes Jesus rose from the dead and that means something. But that, that you can come and when you, when you hear about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that you can be someone who in your heart can say, I'm, I'm convinced that Jesus is God that he lived, that he died, and that he rose from the dead. Are you guys ready for this adventure with us? Okay, so each week what we're going to be looking at is, um, is a, a sketch of somebody in the scripture. This week we're going to be looking at the character of Mary Magdalene. And, um, and as I studied Mary Magdalene, I, uh, I just really enjoyed it. And so we're going to look at three scenes in her life, and, um, and as we do this, I realize that some of you guys go, well, you're using a story from the Bible, um, and I'm not really sh- convinced that the Bible is a book I should listen to, but what's exciting about the story of Mary Magdalene is the, sto- the way the story is told is in such a way that I think, I think the, whole, the whole thing, both the Bible both the life of Jesus and the faith of Mary Magdalene all will all be something by the end of this time you're going to be like, <laughs> I'm convinced. I'm convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. So start with me by opening to the book of Luke. Um, this is going to be, John 20 is where we're going to be landing in the end, but we're starting with Luke. We're going to go to Mark and then we're going to end in John. So first scene of that we see with Mary in, in it is Luke 8. And this is a, it's a really, 
small and almost passing comment that the writer of this book makes about Mary Magdalene. And we're going to start in in Luke 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their means. So Mary. Mary Magdalene. Who is this lady? Um, The truth is, this is, other than us seeing Mary, as we'll see her later in the other two scenes, at the foot of the cross and then at the resurrection of Jesus, this is the only time we see Mary Magdalene before the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and what's so astounding about that is that she plays, possibly, other than Jesus, the biggest role in the resurrection narrative. And so all we get about her is, is this, right? Mary, called the Magdalene, who had seven demons uh, driven out of her. So this is what we know about Mary. Very simple. Mary was from Magdala, which was this thriving town on the coast of Galilee. Um, Mary was a woman of means, so she had money. um, Because it says from her means, she helped support the ministry of Jesus. Um, But besides those things, all we know is that Mary was once afflicted with demons. Mary was somebody who was, and the word you often hear with this is, she was someone who was possessed. And if you think of possession, think of if, if you own something, right? I, I possess this Bible, which means it's mine. I can flip its pages, right? <laughs> but Mary being possessed by a spirit, literally what that means is that Mary no longer belonged to herself. That when you talk to Mary, if Mary act crazy and irrational, or, or we don't know exactly how, how the evil spirit manifested in her life, all we know is that she was no longer in control of herself. And so it, you couldn't say, well, well, Mary, think rationally about this. Mary, Mary, get a grip. You, you couldn't convince Mary of something by argument because Mary no longer could rationally think through something. And when Jesus met Mary, that that was the state of her life. Not in possession of herself. And that that is profound. (laughs) The interesting thing is, and we'll get to this in more detail later, but the interesting thing is, in the book of Matthew, though, Though this is such an incredible part of Mary's life, in the book of Matthew, it actually never mentions Mary Magdala having seven evil spirits driven from her at all. And I think the reason for that is because when when Mary met Jesus, Mary, who had been in possession 
of an evil spirit that made her do whatever it pleased, all of a sudden was free. And this changed everything for Mary. Um, I wish I could elaborate on the story by saying, like, and this is what it looked like when it manifested in Mary. But I think the beauty of the story is that that Mary's affliction, it was meant to just be something that she didn't possess herself, but then all of a sudden, she regained freedom. And for, for a lot of people, you know, maybe even some of you here, have been at the place where you don't feel like you are in possession of your own lives. You absolutely don't feel like you have control over your past, your present, your future. So what changed in Mary? Well, when Mary meets Jesus... She meets the only one who can provide her freedom. From, from her feeling like she's no longer in possession of herself to feel like she is, again, someone. And, and the complete work of Jesus, whether you are in Mary's place, not feeling possession of yourself, or, or another way afflicted, the whole work of Jesus has come in 1 John 3, it says to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus has come to destroy the work of the devil. In Luke four seventeen through 19, which we've quoted often here, and this is in some ways kind of like a mission statement for our church, it says, the Spirit of the Lord, Jesus speaking, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedoms for the prisoners recovery of sight for the blind, and release to the oppressed. And so Mary, who is oppressed, (laughs) meets someone who has come to stand, purposefully to stand toe-to-toe with the devil. And there's two ways in the Gospels that that Jesus talks how he plans to go about this. And the first is uh, referring to the strong man, and the second is referring to the shepherd. So, if you'd like to turn with me, you can. If you don't want to, I'm going to be reading them. In Matthew 12, Jesus uses the language of strong man. Strong man. 12.25, Jesus is addressing some of the Pharisees who are accusing Jesus' power as coming from the evil one. And Jesus says, Uh, It says, knowing their thoughts, he says, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Bizzlebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again... How can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. So, growing up, whenever I read this story, I thought that the strong man 
was the evil one. I, so I read the story and I was like, yeah, man, strong man's just buying people up, stealing everything from them. But the, but the imagery is, is interesting here because what Jesus is saying, he, he goes, I am the strong man who has come and I have bound up the evil one and I'm stealing from him. And that's good news, right? So, so Jesus is the stronger man. Right, so what Jesus is saying is, he goes, you say I'm driving out demons, people who, spirits who are afflicting people by the evil one. He goes, that's not the way it works. He goes, I'm coming as the stronger man. I'm coming as the one from God who is binding up the work of the evil one and taking from him what he has claimed possession of. So, so Mary, who... The evil one had claimed possession of, right? In such a way that she no longer felt like she ruled her life. She didn't rule her life, right? Something else ruled her life. And what she did, she did not want to do, but she didn't have possession of herself anymore. So what's going to happen? Well, Jesus, the strong man, comes in, binds up the evil one, and frees Mary. That's good news, (laughs) But the stronger man has come. And so when you read this, and oftentimes in our lives, we give too much strength to the evil one saying, oh, he, he, he's making me do, he's, right? And, and we're like pretending as if he has stronger power than Jesus, and he does not. When Jesus comes in and stands toe-to-toe with the devil, he's taking him out. In 1 John 4, for it says, You dear children are from God and have overcome the spirits that are against God because the one who is in you is the one who is greater than the one who is in the world. Jesus, the stronger man, came and liberated Mary. The second illustration is the shepherd. In John 10, verse 10 Jesus is talking about how it says uh, he's giving this imagery as if as if there are sheep who are in a pasture that is guarded by a fence, and he says, "And I am the gate. I am the gate, and nothing can come in unless it comes through that gate." And then in ten sentences, the thief comes only to still kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so where, where Satan came to Mary the Magdalene, and, she, and he, he tried stealing from her, killing her, destroying her, Jesus came and said, I want you to have life, and I want you to have life to the full. And so even though we don't have, and, and this, is, this is amazing to me. So, so Mary, who is freed, all we have about her is this passing comment, and Luke going, yeah, she, she was rescued from seven evil spirits. And, and while other places in the scripture, we have these incredible narratives of how he saved people, right? When he came down the mountain of transfiguration and there was a little boy and, and possessed by evil spirits and, and Jesus comes and he frees him, right? We have these longer narratives, but of Mary, we don't. And I think, I think one of the reasons for that, I, well, two reasons is one is I think I think Mary was still around 
And, and one of the reasons for that is in the early church, apologists or people who defended the faith, people who said, this is why we believe in God. It says the early apologists of the Christian church used Mary's story as evidence for how the work of Jesus causes true change in people. Right? So even though we didn't have that narrative here, the story was being circulated over and over again, and Mary was living evidence at the time the gospel was written. She was living evidence. We'll go ask Mary. And it was no longer go ask crazy Mary, because Mary wasn't crazy anymore. Mary had a new identity. That's why in the book of Matthew, it never mentions her having, been, having seven evil spirits. Because Mary was just simply Mary Magdalene, who loved Jesus. And because he had rescued her, because he had done that radical change in her life, we move on to the second scene which is her decision to follow Jesus. A couple weeks ago when I preached, I mentioned three things. I said we have been saved from something, we've been saved into something, and for something. That probably sounds very confusing if you weren't there. We've been saved from something. Mary was saved from a life of bondage. She was saved from a life of opposing God. And she was rescued into something, which is the family of God. Right? And when you become part of the family of God, your identity changes. And so you're no longer crazy Mary. Who you are, who she was, was, was Mary a child of God? That's what she was saved into and for something. What was she saved for? We'll find out later. Scene two. If you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 15. And if you guys aren't pumped up about this, I hope by the end you are, because, because I know so many people who are oppressed and don't have hope. So many people who could have been referred to or can still be referred to as crazy. And Jesus is the stronger man, and Jesus is the shepherd, and Jesus saved Mary. And I tell you what, if he saves you from that and you remember it, you'll be convinced the rest of your life. Okay? And so we move into scene two, which, which just jumps over a lot of the gospel narrative. And it, see, I was talking and I wasn't flipping pages. <clears throat> So we we jump over all this narrative, past miracles, past the Last Supper, past the garden, and all of a sudden we find Mary and a group of women gathered around the cross. Mark 15.40. It says, Some women were watching from a distance, watching Jesus breathe his last. It says the curtain temple was torn in two. All this has already happened. It says, some women were watching from a distance. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger and Joseph and Salomon. I don't know how to pronounce those names. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. So we have this group of women who have followed him everywhere he's gone. Right? And this is, this is really pertinent because oftentimes you just hear of Jesus and the 12 disciples. And yet Jesus had like this, 
all these, all these women also, that were, and, and men too, that were, were following him. And, and I think a lot of them had this story like Mary, where, where Jesus had, had reached into their lives and just saved them. And so, so what you see is this profound devotion and faithfulness from their lives. And, and Mary is just following him wherever he goes. Um, going from there, verse 42, it says, It was preparation day. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, prominent member of the council, who had himself waited for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, placed it in the tomb, cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Verse 47, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. (laughs) So so do you get this? Scene two is just Mary follows Jesus. (laughs) So you have... Mary saved, and then you just have Mary. Wherever Jesus is, Mary's there. Right? As, as he walked through Galilee, as he carried out his ministry, Mary was there. As he hung on the cross dying, and his disciples abandoned him, Mary was there. Right? When he died and was taken off the cross and was put in the tomb, Mary is there, just watching See how, how this is placed? This is incredible. So this, this woman, who was once not in possession of herself, and she has been completely restored, has incredible devotion to Jesus. And this is what I, I want you to contemplate. And, I, and it was drawn out really beautifully in a book called, um, there's a, three books called The Singer, The Song, and The Finale. Um, Following the life of Jesus, it's poetic. I encourage you to read it. It's, and it deals with this man who, who was powerful. It actually is kind of the story of Legion. You know, this man who was powerful and possessed by demons. Was not in control of himself, and Jesus frees him. And it talks about how that man watches Jesus die. And all of a sudden, the one who had restored his humanity is, is dying and, and the thought comes to mind, if I start going crazy again, who will save me? And all of a sudden, the tempter comes back, the evil one comes back, and starts tempting him. You are crazy. You are. And you see the one who saved you? He's no longer around to save you. And so here's Mary, I believe in the same spot, right? Here's Mary who who has been rescued, followed Jesus, loved Jesus, loved Jesus. Why did she love Jesus? Of course you know why she loved Jesus, because she has her humanity back. She is a human being again, no longer possessed, but a person. Glory, hallelujah, that's good, right? And so she's just following, she just wants to be near him. And she's heard him speak. And she knows his words are life. So she's going to go wherever he is. And then she sees him die. And, and who will be the one that reminds her? Because then all the disciples, where are they? They've ran away. They're not going to remind her. 
And so she just follow, she keeps following him. That's all she knows how to do, right? He's the only one that's restored her humanity. And so as he's taken down, she goes to the tomb. Where else is she going to go? And she just watches this whole story play out before her eyes. What will she do? That's scene two. Scene three is that Jesus comes back and affirms Mary. And this is beautiful. So turn with me to John 20, and we'll finish this story. John 20, verse 1. It says, On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. Pods. So, so what Mary does is, is we just left Mary in Mark watching where Jesus is placed. Next morning, where's Mary? <laughs> She's at the tomb again. Just coming to check it out, right? Coming, and, and the other stores fill it in. She's coming with the other two women who have come, and they're, they're just like, okay, we're going to put some perfume on it. <laughs> and so they come, and at halfway to the tomb, it says they stop, and they're like, well, who's going to take the stone away? And they don't know, but they just, they just keep walking. And so then, then they get there, they find the stone in his room and says, So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. This is, Peter's often referred to as the big fisherman, and you know why, right? He didn't run as much. <clears throat> He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went in the tomb and saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloths were folded up itself, separate from the linens. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first all went inside. He saw and believed. But in verse 9, this is important. It clarifies 8, where it says, They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And so... So what they believed was Mary's account, they have taken him from the tomb. Right? That's what they're believing. They're believing that Jesus is just gone. <clears throat> Verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. So, I love Mary. <laughs> disciples go back. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside the tomb. She's not leaving. Why? Because Mary doesn't know where else to go. Mary has been so changed by Jesus. Her life is so wrapped around Jesus. She's just standing there crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked in the tomb and saw two angels, white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? I love the obvious questions that keep getting asked in the story. You'll they have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put, in, put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize that it was Jesus. And as you read people's thoughts on this, it's like maybe she didn't realize him because she was crying so much. Maybe she didn't realize him because, because Jesus had been transformed, right, from his death to resurrection. And he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? <laughs> Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And, and think, think of Mary. 
Mary's just so passionate. She's like, this is like, you know, Mary. She's, is she going to like pick up the body and, you know? <laughs> what, what is she thinking? She's not, okay? <laughs> she isn't thinking. She's just like, let me know. I'll figure it out from there. <laughs> she's like, if you were tomb cleaning, let's just get him back. And, and she, she isn't thinking. She just, her life is so wrapped around Jesus. And Jesus says to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Mary. Jesus calls her by name. He's the one who first called her by name, and when he called her by name, he released her from a lifelong oppression. And so when he called her by name again, she knew it was her Savior. And it says she leaps up. <laughs> Jesus says, don't hold on to me. Right? You don't even know what she does. And he's like, whoa, <laughs> let's wait. Right? Because she just clings to him. He's back. So excited. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I've returned. I'm returning to my father and your father. Right? Oh, gosh, that's beautiful. Right? I'm returning to my father and your father. To my God and your God. Right? He's like... Mary, I'm here. Mary, you are restored. You are free. You are human. I'm going to our dad. Right? You're not just human. Mary, you're my sister. Jesus, her Lord, is going. Mary, we're... We are like... We are like siblings. Talk about restoration. Talk about complete restoration. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the good news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said and these, these things to her. Um, we find out in the book of, of Mark 16. It's interesting. It says, when Jesus rose early on the first day, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe her. Okay, this is, this is what will... Okay, hopefully you're, you love Mary and you're convinced of that. But, but what will convince you of the narrative itself, that this book is true? Well, Mark 16 will. That <clears throat> Jesus appeared first to Mary. She went back told others about her being freed, uh, and Jesus being alive, sorry, and, and this is the powerful thing. No one believes her testimony. And, and the reason why is because partly during that time, the, the testimony of women was not accepted as valid. Right? But this is what transforms the narrative is that Jesus trusted the testimony of Mary. So much of the resurrection narrative is taken up with this person who Jesus had restored her humanity and then again affirms her humanity, not just by showing himself to her, but having her be the first one to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the world. And she goes... And no one believes her, but who cares? 
She's invincible at this point, right? She's going out and she's like, I am convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. He is my God and he is going to heaven where our daddy is. And I don't care what you think because you're going to find out soon enough, right? She was convinced. And that, that is what faith in Jesus means. It starts with transformation, that he does something with your life. He takes your old self, your old self, separate from him, in animosity to him, against him, and he transforms you to be a lover of Jesus. And as a lover of Jesus, you just follow Jesus. I'm following Jesus wherever he goes. And then as he, and as he reveals himself to you in the glory of his resurrection... Why Mary? I think it, it's summed up really well in, in 2 Timothy, where, where Paul says that Jesus is coming back again. And that's the truth, that Jesus is coming back again. And what Paul says is he's coming back again for all those who long for his appearing. And I think that is why Jesus came to Mary first. It's because I don't think anyone longed for him like Mary longed for him. I don't think... I mean, even... Even his disciples, right? Oh, nobody, we're going home, right? <laughs> Mary's like, just tracking him down. Like, no, I'm staying here. <laughs> and then Jesus speaks to her, Mary. Mary, you are restored. You are new. And my dad is your dad. And so she was so, so, so convinced by that. She so longed for that. She was entrusted with the most important event in all of history, to be the first one that preached the gospel. That's profound. So, are you convinced? If you come today and, and you've had a moment where you, you first met Jesus and he freed you and you loved him, maybe you need to remember again that. Some, some of us don't remember well what Jesus saved us from. That's important. Some of us maybe doubt what we were saved from. And so we doubt what we're saved into, which is the body of Jesus Christ. And we doubt what we're saved for. Some of what we're saved for will be a surprise to us. We are all saved to proclaim his glory. What she was saved for, in particular, was to be the first one to proclaim the gospel. So, as you are convinced... What I'm excited for us is we're each going to be discovering exactly what he saved us for as we walk towards him, as we proclaim him. Um, so, in light of that, in light of that conviction, I'm going to pray and we'll worship together. God, I, I am so, so excited about the story of Mary. As I just see her on the pages of the scripture, I, I get excited again about your resurrection. I get excited because I see her sitting outside the tomb, just, just so still, so full of love for you. And God, I pray that as we read this, as we hear the story, it will rub off on us. We again will just fall in love with Jesus again.
We'll have that conviction. Because I am convinced that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and he rose from the dead. God, we love you and we pray these things. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.